Hi, it's Adrian here, the host of Talk Design Podcast. I would like to welcome you to a special series that I've created with the AIA Austin chapter. This is for their homes tour, which will be held in October on the 22nd and the 23rd in Austin, Texas. This homes tour I've been to many times and it's a wonderful event. It's really well curated and incredible homes on it. And this year we've got homes from a bunch of Austin's best architects and some really exciting projects. I've had the pleasure of interviewing each of these architects about the project and about the nuances of the project. So when you get a chance to listen to these podcasts, you're really going to find out some special little tips and have like a tour from the architect through each of these homes. The other thing that the AIA Austin chapter has done is they've arranged for webinars with the architects who have homes on the tour. These will kick off on the 21st of the 9th, and then they will run through to the 12th of the 10th. If you look up the AIA Austin's home tours schedule, you will find these listed there. This would be something really special. In the meantime, what I would ask you to do is subscribe to the Talk Design podcast. You'll find us online at www.talkdesign.show and on every podcast platform that you care to listen on. If you can subscribe there and then go to the latest series, which will be the AIA Austin Homes Tour. So have a look for that and dig out some of your favorite architects. There's lots to learn. And then if you are going to make it to the tour in person, you will also learn a whole lot more about these homes by listening to what the architects have had to say. You'll also see on our website some amazing photography by Leonard Fomansky, who has done the photography for the tour this year. So thank you for listening, and I look forward to presenting each of these architects to you in this AIA Austin special series. Take care and enjoy. On the special edition of the AIA Austin Homes Tour, we have Margot and Ashley from Lake Flado Architecture, and they're going to be talking to us about House Zero. Now, this is a 3D printed house. It's an exploration um, into what you can do with 3D printing, and it really is something that's particularly custom. It takes non-traditional building methods and takes future building methods and wraps those into what we presume would be a traditional home. So ladies, I am so excited for this. Um, it's, so a, it's, it's a house that I'm fascinated by and 3D printing I see as another fascination. And I really appreciate your time to share it with us and share it with the audience. Absolutely. First of all, um, we've had the pleasure of just having a bit of a chat before we've started recording. One of the things that I would love to talk about is the... The, the marriage between um, Lake Flato and Icon um, and their values and where that belongs to in relation to this house. So why yeah. don't you take it away? Well, um, that really was why this, I think, project overall was so successful is that the basic underpinnings are that we share 
such basic core values and mission in a way. There's a lot of overlap between our, our different companies' mission. Um, like Plato is a firm that from our beginnings 40 years ago has cared deeply about the environment and building properly with climate, with context, and um, really making buildings better for all the beings on this planet. And ICON cares a lot about the environment and in particular the housing crisis and taking care of people who are unhoused and finding new ways to move the construction industry and be more innovative with construction so that we can solve the challenges that face us in terms of housing people on the planet. And so we knew that we had a, um, a great synergy from the beginning. And actually when we started working and workshopping together, that was readily apparent. And that's uh, how we were able to really have a, a great team that included, you know, Icon and Lake Plato folks side by side throughout every step of the process to make the house happen. Yeah, fantastic. So for everybody who's listening, the house is 3D printed and that may mean zero to you. Tell us about what is 3D printing and what's the process? How does that happen? And what are the benefits? Well, the process is, um, I mean, for somebody that's you know never been a part of a project like that, I, I came in on the project after a, a design trad had happened with the core architectural team and I focused on interiors. Yep. So to be on a team with architects to see the, the fluidity of the design possibilities and how, um, you know, you, you can really push the boundaries of what is acceptable with 3D printing. I mean, the curves, you know, everything mm -hmm. that you wish you could, you could do in traditional architecture that makes it so much simpler and easier, you know, to, to do with 3D printing. I think that was the, the biggest thing that, you know, really blew me away in the whole process. I, I, th I think, you know, traditionally we look at our home and we go, we know that straight lines are the most economic to build. And yep. the minute you say curve, everybody that is in the know exactly. goes, oh, yeah, that, yep. yeah, the dollar, the, the checkbook flutters in mm -hmm. their back pocket and goes, oh, not too yeah. many of them. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Which is a, which is something with the 3D printing that, um, yeah, curves are fine. Curves yeah, are it, fine. It doesn't, if you want, if you want a straight line, if you want curves all the way down the facade, it's not going to change. It's just what can you imagine? And um, in fact, curves are a little friendlier to the printer. So the 3D printing robot is a gantry system. It's got two really long rails that run the length of the site, and then an arm that moves back and forth on those rails, and the nozzle moves on the arm to print. And it actually moves smoothest and most consistently when you have a little bit of a curve and you're not sort of trying to draw a straight line, stop, turn a 90 degree angle, all of that. Right. Also, um, the walls are more self-supporting if they're curved. You know, you think of it as a piece of paper, if you just stand it up on its edge, it falls right down. But if you curve it or bend it, yep. it can stand on its own. So you're getting a lot out of playing with that geometry yeah. in addition to just all the excitement that all of yeah. us designers feel when you get to do Absolutely. something new and organic that way but it's so, actually really sensible with so this particular construction method yeah it's creating structural stability at the same time as it's creating beauty mm -hmm. i have this um question with uh, often that comes to mind with architecture in general is, is whether the energy of the building is more feminine or more masculine and you can look at periods of architecture and go, oh, that's definitely got a real masculine feel to it. And 
often the, the simplest kind of, I suppose, you know, baseline, dumbest way of um, looking at it is, is that it becomes more sensuous when it's got curves and therefore it has more sort of feminine energy. Not that that is always going to be true because you can make it hard or, or more masculine energy. With um, House Zero, would you say that it's got more of a feminine or a masculine energy as a structure? Mm -hmm. Oh my goodness. Tricky question, so, I know. I love but... this question. No, I love this question because I, I want to know your opinion too. I know, actually. I was so curious how you're going to answer. Yeah, yeah, me too. So um, for me, okay, one of the things that we did, we wanted to showcase that you can actually, you can you can leave the printed concrete texture as is, right? So it, it becomes its own texture in the space, creating shadow play, you know, et cetera, movement, you know, all that. And that's wonderful. But we also wanted to show that it's flexible. So we put a Tadillac plaster on some of the bathrooms to show that you could actually have a smooth finish should you not want all of the, the texture movement in the space, right? Uh -huh. When we did that, it really glorifies the geometry of the curves. So we have what we call in one space a avocado shower, right? Where it's this 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 small like curved you know shower. We have we have two. We have one in the main the main house and in the ADU. And the you know I'm gonna steal your word the the sensualness of this like curved space and then taking away that texture and just having this like really smooth textured finish from the Tadillac. I, I find that that is very feminine. It has this kind of, uh, I can't tell you uh, why, but well, it, that's, it's, that's, it's uh, beautiful. I love it. It was my favorite part of seeing that kind of expressed geometry in the space. I, I think also when you do that in, um, in a space, like in the shower, where mm -hmm. if you think of, um, human nurturing and human self-care um you know bathing and washing and um taking uh, taking that time mm -hmm. that self-time um also puts it heavily towards the feminine um side of it you know whereas if that was around a fireplace or something yeah maybe <laughs> but but maybe less so than when it is um, in a space like you're saying, like in a in a bathroom where it is, where it's it's time, it, it, it's workspace as well, but it's actually time to take care, and uh, it can be a whole lot more, uh, I suppose, connected mentally or or physically connected um, to. Uh, I want to say the universe, yeah, um, but that whole yeah that whole feeling and being able to change the feel and mood of a space through the wall shapes and through the the mm -hmm. textures of them mm -hmm. well, is something think, that's beautiful mm -hmm. and, and I also think there's one detail that we wanted to show that like stark transition so we we you know on one side of the wall when you when you come up to this curved um wall one side is left textured the other side is smooth plastic oh, nice yeah. so you can really see that change and i think that juxtaposition also really influences and kind of like creates this drama around it too which yeah. is really fun i don't know so yeah so much of the house is about sort of um 
enabling new perspectives on something that you think you understand. Mm -hmm. And so I love this question because as I think about each aspect of the house, I can think about how it's both. We've got like an all gender house here Mm -hmm. because concrete itself, you can think of fewer materials that are more masculine. Uh It's heavy. It's all in compression. It's always Mm -hmm. like the base that holds up everything else. But in this case is everything that Margo has described the verb, the, the, the adjectives that everyone uses when they're in the house are soft mm-hmm. and pillowy yeah. Yeah, and, um, and yeah, it just has this, this quality. And when the daylight moves across it, that is so hard to describe and so unexpected. And then to complement that most of the house is wood structured and mm-hmm. has this very rhythmic, very regular sort of high modern approach to create something that's very familiar and clean and um, rhythmic against this very free flowing kind of organic thing. And so it's wood, which it can also be a little bit more feminine and a little softer, but it's doing the work of sort of towing the line and being in some ways more masculine. So, so I really it's, feel it's, like at every turn, you might rethink those questions as you look around the house. That is true. Yeah, that's fabulous. That's such good answers, ladies. I love that. <laughs> I really do. It's, um, it, it, I say it's a tricky question because it's so subjective to how people observe it and, and understand it. And giving those answers gives such great perspective on how people can see that rhythm, that very static rhythm of, say, the timber. Yet the timber brings in nature and softness, Mother Earth, all these things, and brings that um, reality to it. Whereas if it was in aluminium or if it was in steel, it would more contain more masculine kind of forged hard energy um, against it. So, yeah, I think. Wonderful answers. <laughs> um, well, it was a great question just because to go back to it, it was really the guiding, a lot of the guiding principle throughout the design is like towing that line, being both, mm-hmm. being structured and in where it's appropriate, sort of heavy handed, but also being light and movement and unexpected and playful. Yeah. And we tried for all elements and all the spaces to sort of really strike the balance between the two because that's what makes a home feel so good. Yeah, right. and, and and to just piggyback on that too, the the elements of wood. So there's no jip, right, in this in this um, house. So the, this elements of you know the dug fir and, and the concrete yep. that juxtaposition of such a warm and kind of like traditionally cold material that concrete kind of gets put into you know that category. It really uh, my favorite part of you know doing some of the tours was the feedback of wow, I did not expect it to feel so warm in here and so yeah. comfortable. Yeah. I thought this was emotionally so warm, emotionally yeah, warm. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was really exciting to hear, especially as an interior designer. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I mean, like if you if you imagine a, a home having sort of an emotional plan to it, um, and it 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 a, I mean, it, it embodies the the thoughts of the architect um, and the interiors and, and and you know the people that work on uh, in the process of it. So it embodies that in that design sense. But then when it's being created takes on a, a life of its own to some degree you know you can model it you can do all these things and you can we have a fair idea of what the outcome is going to be but when it takes you beyond that expectation mm-hmm. as the person who designs it and you go so you start to go oh wow oh wow um that's when it becomes even more magical with with the design side of it 
how many times did you walk into other structures and stuff and go, okay, so that's how we could finish this and that, that's how we could do that? What was that process so that you had an understanding of what you were letting yourselves in for? Um, or, or, or education to get yourselves there? Yeah, because, you know, frankly, there weren't that many places to go see uh-huh. something like this. Couldn't do a so, world tour and spot a, you know, a couple of hundred of them. Yeah, that could have been fun. Um, but instead, we just asked Icon for, you know, what are the parameters here? And at the time, I'm sure this is different now, you know, they gave us a fairly brief PDF saying, okay, here's <laughs> the width and the height. And uh, this is the way we did the walls on the last one, but we think there's probably a better way to do it. So let's work through it. So from the very beginning, we did a series of workshops. We were focused on things like, what is the jam detail? Mm-hmm. Before we even know what the plan looks like, we need to figure out how these windows are going to interface with this wall in a better way, because right now it's thermally bridging and it's creating a messy set of conditions that they're just covering up with stucco. And so we need to just completely rethink that. And that was some of the first sketching we did, for example, is to take the inner and outer beads and actually turn them back in on themselves so that you have this thermally broken kind of hidden connection that could be really clean and actually a moment to celebrate rather than something to hide, which had been in some of the previous projects that they referenced for us. So right. it was a lot of just studying from scratch what this robot can do and what might make sense. And I think it will be different even on the next one. That's how quickly, again, all of the, uh-huh. the detail. Yeah. So yes. for, very quickly. for the tech heads on the tour, so for the tech heads that are on the tour um, and want to understand how this 3D thing happens, um, I can explain a little, which is, is you, if you imagine that you've got a big, frame that is sitting over the site and it's got uh, almost like crosshairs of a, of a printer so it's got a gantry that's running backwards and forwards how does it get driven and how do you know where it's going to put the concrete how do you how does it know where it's going to put the concrete is it driven by satellite is it driven by like gps what happens because it's got to be precise i'm figuring very precise. So the initial calibration of it is something that we didn't realize takes quite a long time. And obviously Icon could go into more detail on this because uh, they set it up on site and then we didn't see anything for a few days because they're really calibrating to make sure that the rails for the gantry are set up you know, exactly as needed to, to hit all the marks and the work points that we've set. And then they have um, essentially like an iPad you know, right. that has the software and sends the program. And our Lake Flato team worked really closely with Icon back and forth to develop that tool path that is basically the thing that guides the robot around. And then it just follows it line by line. Um, this project was the first time that Icon used offset or cantilevered beads. Ah, uh, this and was going to so, be my next question. <laughs> yeah, we had a lot it. of fun. Knock me out. As, as, yeah, another new challenge or innovation that we got to play with. They hadn't done it before, but they told us they had they felt confident in the ability to offset the beads at something like a 16th of an inch per bead. So every single one of those tool paths is slightly different because on the, uh-huh. the main west face of the house, sort of the entry side of the house, we formed these three, what we call the tree walls or barrel walls. They're sort of shaped like uh, uh, C's standing up but they have this very curvilinear kind of sine curve root structure at the bottom mm-hmm. that then flows up through the wall and becomes just a regularized C shape at the top so that it's easy to cover and waterproof. Um, and so every single bead in that wall out of the, I don't know, call it 120 beads is different. And every, every tool path had to be calculated to follow that. So it was a lot of 
coordination between our teams until they get out there. And then when they get out there, they, they load the software and and prints it so for people on the tour okay so there's a great explanation of what happens for the tech heads and then when you go to the house um you were saying it's on the western facade is it the the tree walls um have a look have a good look at this these tree walls and see how these shapes cantilever themselves as they go up um it creates like a curtaining effect or like this tree trunk effect which is really beautiful and it's got a lovely organicness to it that is beyond what you'd expect. It's not just layered on top of each other. It, it Again, it brings, uh, I would say, this feminine energy into the concrete piece of the structure so beautifully um, that it's... And very biophilic. We talk a lot yeah. in our about biophilia, and I don't know if we've ever gotten to work on something that so overtly mm-hmm. has those characteristics yeah. of natural patterns and organic shapes, really, yeah. literally. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that was one of my favorite things about it is that when um, I was brought onto the project, I felt like, you know, oh, you think about concrete, you don't, the first thing that you think about is not biophilia, mm-hmm. in no. my opinion. No. And this- not unless you're going to hang a bunch of plants off it. I mean, this, <laughs> right? is, this is a combination of biophilic and biomimicry in the same exactly, in the same right. um, outcome yeah yes yes absolutely and and just being in the space and working with the team and everything it's just it is one of the most influential i think um projects that i've worked on so far at lake plato with this like biophilic touch it really does feel organic in the space even but, though it is a concrete home yeah I, I, an interesting thing with that if you look at um, the stats on what biophilic design does for people's cognitive behavior, mm-hmm. um, how it lifts it, how it, in you know, classrooms, yeah. it's so proven it's to, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Imagine now you're building a structure that is um, nurturing the humans as mm-hmm. they're in it and also as they're observing it. Um, that again is list, lifting, lifting, I need my own lifted, um, cognitive behavior, their, their cognitive response and learning ability is lifted just purely by the structure that they're in, um, yes. by the nature of what you've designed. I mean, this, this sort of stuff is game changing on a whole nother level other than just building. It is because, you know, I think many architects, certainly Lake Plato with every project aims to uh, follow those principles with our work, no matter what, using mm-hmm. great daylight, using mm-hmm. um, the sunlight so that you get natural movement of shadows and that feeling of change during the day and ventilation that works well with natural patterns and views out toward nature. And House Zero does all of those smart things that we would do with the home anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you layer in the concrete. Mm-hmm. So like it's a, it's a well-designed home and a comfortable home anyway. And then you get this ad- additional really innovative and new thing and it just makes it so special yeah yeah so take me um on a journey um pretend that i've uh, just arrived at the front door and take me on a journey that points out the the things that i would otherwise not notice because of the 300 people that are around me trying to notice it at the same time (laughs) no uh, the house will be crazily visited um Probably, fortunately and unfortunately, by a lot of people trying to understand the process. Um, Whereas when we go into most of the other houses that will be on the tour, most people aren't trying to understand the process. They're just understanding the beauty and the flow 
and getting what it feels like to them. Um, and in this case, this house wasn't built with um, a client as such in mind. Like a, it wasn't like a single driven client in the sense of, you know, Joe and Mary from wherever um, having mm -hmm. their house done. Right. Um, so it, it op offers an opportunities outside of what would normally be somebody's personal taste. Um, so yeah, That's take me on this, take me on this journey. And I'll just say one note about that, that I love about the house is it is just over 2000 square feet. This isn't a huge home. It's a right. very sort of well-sized home for a family or a couple or whatever kind of demographic could move into East Austin at this time. Um, the bedrooms aren't oversized. It's got a nice, generous sort of shared space that we made the most of because of these geometries and um, really modestly scaled parts and pieces. So it feels really intimate throughout. So, yes, we, we stand at the front door of this lovely yeah. glass. Before I, before I come in, what should I be noticing on my way to the front door? I think the front door. <laughs> that would be nice. Yes. Um, well, overall, you notice this somewhat alien but also really welcoming thing sitting in the landscape and it's really nestled in we wanted the planting to come right up to the edges of the concrete so that feels like it really just emerges out of the ground and then positioned next to these big three tree walls and this lovely very thin crisp roof that has the timber structure yep. is this little glass box that you walk into that's the front door mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And so then you're in this kind of like small entry vestibule, if you will. Right. Um, one of the things that is hidden and you wouldn't really notice just as a tidbit, if you immediately look up, there's a small shadow box and there are uh, strategically placed different pieces of the, the printed concrete for different projects that they've studied, even um, the Mars colored concrete piece as little sculptures. Um, in the shadow box. So that's just something random awesome. and not a part of the architecture that I have to, uh, I have to point out because it's really a fun storytelling moment. Right when you and in. you did drop in there the Mars piece. So now you have to explain that. Ah, uh, sidebar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sidebar. Off-world or rabbit, or rabbit hole. Yeah, let's yes. make it a sidebar. Yeah, yeah, going back to your tech heads, I mean, it's one of the got to be one of the most fascinating things that Icon in particular is focused yeah. on is how their um, you know automation of construction and robotic technology could be applied to off-world construction. So you could send one of these robots to the moon or to Mars. They could build the habitat that then the astronauts come and stay in, or something like that. So they've done a lot of experimental work to figure out how that process could be achieved with minimal human input or humans on site needed to help run this thing because you know it's as we build things today you'd have to send out an entire construction crew right. of astronauts and uh -huh. um they're they're looking to be much more advanced and solve those challenges of how we start to build habitats off world yeah so they've got these kind of reddish colored sculptures mm -hmm. as uh when we asked them yeah. to bring us some sort of off-cast test prints that showed up and we loved them. So they're, yeah, all, they're, they're sprinkled in the house. Yeah, they're very, they're very unique. There you um, go. So don't miss that. Do not miss that. You come through the door, look for the okay. shadow box. And then no. if you're really onto it, look for the red colored ones because they're, yeah, they're, they're simulations from the uh, Mars project. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. And so and so then as you as you kind of come in, you have, you know, two options. You can go to the right and go to um the a bedroom, uh-huh. right? That and then there's also it's two it's three bedroom or two bedroom one office. Uh we staged it as two bedroom one office um so that because you know, we work at home now for the yeah. for the majority of us, right? Um and so it just felt it felt uh, contextual to time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, there's a shared Jack and Jill bathroom there. Uh-huh. Um, and then as you veer from the entry to the left, that's more of your like main space that then guides you to your, uh, primary suite. Right. And so in that main space, you have one of my favorite, uh, finish items would be the, um, selection of the concrete terrazzo countertops in the kitchen. Uh-huh. And, um, I just think, you know, we wanted to use, we wanted to, to show concrete in different ways, you know, cause then we were like, oh, the, the opportunities for concrete and everything. So in the vanities, in the, you know, in, in some of the concrete materials, so it's just been, it was a really fun exercise. And the and, kitchen is the one room where if you're standing in it, you don't see printed concrete, but you have those concrete countertops mm-hmm. and then you turn around and as Margo was saying, that's kind of the great room. That's the room that's defined by those three tree walls. And you actually see the purpose they're serving them on the inside. The southernmost one is forming a dining room and it actually almost fully encloses the room. So it's like a moment to sit fully encapsulated yes. in the 3D printed wow. texture. Yeah. Um, the next is sort of a seating nook. It's got a lamp and a chair and it's positioned sort of facing where the TV is on the wall. Though the TV will be under a tapestry, so you won't. No, it's there. Yep. And then the northernmost tree wall forms a desk uh, sort of work niche. Mm-hmm. And so again, these these curves were able to give us several rooms within one larger yeah. room in a way that would have been really challenging to do with your typical orthogonal lines. Yeah, absolutely. Um, creates a lot of intimacy mm-hmm. in a room that is you know, very multi-purpose and isn't still isn't that big. It's 13 feet wide. Yeah. If you compare yeah. that to sort of other. Yeah. Right. I think yeah. you'll be surprised at how gracious it feels. Mm-hmm. Part of that is because that room is entirely under the high roof mm-hmm. and it has not only the floor to ceiling windows on the Western face, the main facade, but also clear stories that face East and get just beautiful soft light in throughout the day. You won't actually see the clear stories because yeah. they're not designed as view. They're really just designed with this Alive. light shelf below them to bounce in the diffuse light through yeah, the day. And it really makes the space feel much higher than it is in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because yeah. So it, it takes the space up without it actually mm-hmm. changing the volume. Yeah. 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 And that yeah. was where we maxed out the height of the printed concrete and then the bedrooms and the kitchen. When you start- said maxed out, sorry, sorry to interject. Yeah. And when you nope. said maxed out, was that where they said, okay, this is the height because of the gantry or is this the height because of, yeah. Right. The the robot that was used to print House Zero was their second version. Um, mm-hmm. They had built a version 1.0 and this was version 2.0 and it had just a maximum height that the arm was built at. Okay. Um, and so they, I'm sure they will continue to build these bigger and bigger and better as they continue to develop the robotic side as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, but this one, the um, tallest concrete beat is 10 foot eight. Okay. But we didn't feel that the whole house needed to be that tall. Again, it's about intimacy and comfort and warmth. So we actually enjoyed then having this lower roof that runs along the bedroom and kitchen wing. And those ceiling heights are eight foot, four and a half. 
very okay. comfortable given the scale of the space and allows for that kind of difference in mm-hmm. compression and then expansion and yeah. those feelings that we've talked about that just make a home feel really comfortable throughout the day. Well, yeah, uh, uh, somebody said, you know, what's the difference between a house and a home? And I remember somebody saying, oh, well, it's because people live in it. It is and it isn't because mm-hmm. something can feel homely to somebody who doesn't live in it. Um, because it, uh, I think a house, the difference between in a house and a home is when you emotionally bond with the structure and it mm. bonds back with you and then it could be your home or anybody else's home. That's mm-hmm. that. Again, it's probably a bit woo-woo or whatever, but that's that no, thing of this that. emotional part that great architecture delivers it. And it yeah. d- delivers it in, in things where it feels hard and strong and it delivers it where it feels soft and nurturing. It delivers it. And that's the difference between, to me, a house and a home is it go, it, any house could be turned into a home, but with the emotional support. Exactly. But when a building already, yeah, when a building already has an emotional support system built into it and, re- and it delivers that regardless of who's in it, so I, I really urge everybody who goes to see the home to take a breath and settle yourself and feel the home. Feel it as much as, as a human, you know, like as possible without just being overawed by what you visually see. Because it's, yeah. I, think, I think there's going to be an amazing piece of magic in that. We hope so. And really worked for that too. It was such an honor to have been brought on to the architectural design of the home at all, Mm -hmm. but then to be asked as they worked with us to develop every bit of the interior design, all of the furniture selection, all of the accessories. So literally as you look around that home, every plant, every floor, every candle is something that our team selected specifically for this house and sort of positioned in that way to just further that connection and enhance that feeling of arrival yeah yeah and trying to tell a story too of you know the the culture where it is right and in austin in east austin having things local to the community when staging it when having an opportunity to stage a house like this where it isn't for you know of someone already with their pieces Mm -hmm. you you really Mm -hmm. get to invent the story that you want to tell and we wanted to um celebrate Austin, celebrate the the baby. neighborhood. Yeah. And the creativity that's here and also the tech that's here. I think it, I think it's hopefully doing it. So. Uh, look, uh, the, the excitement that the two of you have um, <laughs> for the project is, is infectious in itself. Like, um, and probably driven by being able to do something that, that had so much, uh, constraint but then also much so much freedom and so much thought that and not that you don't put the thought into everything it's just that in this case you had to learn a new way of thinking to deliver as well um and new surprise new innovation um yeah it's yeah is there anything more gratifying as designers than when you get to learn new things as you mm -hmm, go and then mm -hmm. play with those new things and experiment with them i mean it's kind of what we all I think aspire to do with our projects. Yeah. And to think that you're setting a course um, that will change housing. Well, that course has already been set, 
um, the 3D course printing of housing has already been set. That course is going to change housing. We know that that's just, it's kind of like going, oh, will electric cars really ever catch on? Yeah, they will. They have, they have, it's already here. Um, and 3D printing's right at that sort of first part. And then to have the opportunity to um, be a pioneer in that course um, is, again, holds an enormous amount of, excitement and uh it really shows in talking to you um i can imagine you know if any guest could get hold of either one of you or both of you and be dragged around the house they'd be like whoa whoa there's too many things to see here (laughs) too many things to feel yeah just um because there's it's such an extravaganza but then not in an extravagant way just all in a gentle way in, in, in purpose and place and in, um, in, in consideration. Mm. Yeah, very intentional. Mm. Yeah, which, as I say, doesn't happen. It happens in every house, but it's just that it's in a pioneer's house, like it's in that pioneering thing. Um, I did keep interrupting, sorry. <laughs> I'm as excited as you guys. Um, if we were to look into, say, the primary sweep, and, and we're talking about these shifting emotions and stuff, beyond the function of it, what else? Tell me some other things that people might get down there if they're imagining themselves as the owners of this home and they're imagining themselves maybe with a family and it maybe without. Um, by the time they get down to that primary sweep kind of area of it, tell me about that. Well... I can tell you that one of the coolest perks of working on this house was that Icon has offered each of us who were sort of integral to the design process mm. a night in the home. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I have actually gotten to sleep in that primary bed one time and get to wake up there. And the feeling of waking up in this remarkably silent, perhaps mm-hmm. because of the concrete, I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure, but it was really quiet. But the daylight just coming in from these sort of relatively narrow tall floor to ceiling windows. And we just left the shades up on the one that was facing sort of the garden wall and it has plants right out there. And it's coming through that light onto the Doug fir panels because there's sort of this open closet Mm -hmm. millwork that lines that hallway. And then on the other side of that is what we call the ripple wall. It's this concrete wall that brought in and forms the outer portion of the curved bathroom that Margo was talking Uh about earlier has ripples in it because we needed to incorporate structure Mm -hmm. within it. So you've got all these moments coming together with the light and the wood and the concrete, you're laying in bed and it's perfectly quiet. And you're just having this sort of dance for your eyes and getting (laughs) to just focus on that. Um, That's what I think of when you say, you know, what what else is there that you moment of just quiet and watching all these things play together. Yeah. I haven't stayed yet, so I'll let you know. You'll report in later. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, mine's next weekend. Um, so for me, I think when you think of a primary suite or you think of a bedroom in general, you think of, okay, I have my my box room, I have my square room, I have my closet. Uh-huh. Perhaps it's a walk-in or not, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's an adjacency to a, a, a bathroom. And um, one of my favorite parts of the 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 mass the primary suite side is that when you come in the use of the um, uh, corridor hallway, you know, that brings you into the uh, primary bath and then down leads you kind of into this 
oh, I have now arrived, right? And and so this like transitional space that could have just been mm-hmm. transitional space mm-hmm. is also used functionally for the closet wardrobe. Ah, uh, cool. And so that's how it's like, you know, there's this juxtaposition on one side of the, the hallway, it's concrete. The other side is wood. I feel like that happens kind of sometimes, you know, in each space um, for if we did that subconsciously or not. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but- <laughs> There's and, always movement, yeah, right? You right. never just end up in some static mm-hmm. space. When I think of like a four wall drywall room, it can mm-hmm. sometimes feel a little confining and like you're trapped. Yeah. So, or, and, or it's just kind of static, right? Yeah. I think there's this like, um, it doesn't give anything back. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's kind of dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like this house is anything but. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, so it, it, it really alive. feels because, you know, as Ashley mentioned, square footage, it's not a massive house. Yeah. But every single square foot has been used for something, either to tell a story about the printing for storage, um, you know, using any opportunity we possibly could. And I think that that was, um, I don't know, unique to this, mm-hmm. just thinking about traditional, you know, whether it's printed or not, and thinking of, of laying out a space and how you could be a, a more there's like a drama to the yeah. when you come in and you go down this little hallway and then oh now here's the the bedroom and the bedroom. one more good little anecdote on that um the tub filler oh uh-huh. fills from the ceiling, the ceiling. yeah oh, because cool. we didn't want to we wanted to avoid putting systems and penetrations in the concrete mm-hmm. anywhere we could also just because we're thinking of this you know to make it really sustainable this concrete should stand for 100 plus years it uh-huh. has the capability of it uh-huh. so let's keep all the systems out of it so that when mm-hmm. you renovate this home and have to replace the systems in 25 50 years whatever yep. you can do that and still leave the shell in place so um we snaked all of the plumbing in the master in the primary bath through the ceiling and yep. you actually fill the tub from the ceiling it's a pretty yeah. fun thing to turn that on and watch <laughs> it drop down next to the rain shower uh, so that's really that cool. Get wet, you can press that button and turn it on. And, and no, it does not splash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good answer. <laughs> to the unasked, unasked question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounds brilliant. It sounds brilliant. Uh, I'm so looking forward to being in the house and um, also just the enthusiasm that um, it ha- you guys have for it. And then it'd be really fascinating to see, you know, how other people react to it. And what a treat that you both get to spend a night in there. I think that's brilliant. Really brilliant. And and really speaks to all the things that that we've been talking about, just how Mm -hmm. there's more to a building than just looking at it, but you get to feel it. And it's rare that we get to do that with our finished projects. Usually the owner moves in and that's kind of the end. Well, exactly. If you said to the owner, look, you can move in tomorrow, but we're staying tonight. Yeah. It'd be like you what? Like, yeah. <laughs> it'd be like no, yeah. no, 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 no. I know yeah. that um, up in uh, Pennsylvania, there where at Falling Water, not far from Falling Water, there's a place called Polymouth Park, and they have a bunch of um, Frank Lloyd Wright's homes. And well, I say they have a bunch of his. They have his and his apprentices' homes that they've m- moved on to Polymouth Park, and you can stay in these homes. So you can actually stay overnight or for multiple days in these homes out in the woods there as well. And again, getting to experience, I always think it's kind of funny, getting to experience a home um, before a, you know, you commission an architect to, to design it. Yeah. 
you never get to experience it before it's finished and you've spent all the money by then. Um, And if you're buying a home, nobody says, oh, well, just hang out in there for like, you know, two days or whatever. But if you bought a car worth $50,000, they give it to you for a day, two days, whatever. Take it for the weekend, you know, but you never get that with a home. You never get that with a home. And to get to experience something that is in your imagination at one point and then comes alive. Yeah. As you say, usually there's a patron and that patron's the one who gets to the come alive moment at the end. Um, whereas what you get is, is the journey. Um, they don't, they mm-hmm. get the journey as well, but you get the journey in a much more uh, connected way. So yeah, that's really special. Really, really special. They could probably sell nights off in the house pretty easily. Yeah, I, d- I think right now they're using it more for demonstration and yeah. for those yeah. company or investors, but I wouldn't be surprised if at some point there's an Airbnb. It type becomes strategy. an Airbnb yeah, type strategy, especially also, as you say, if, as they push out around the world um, with what they're doing, you know, people coming from overseas and just using it as a guest house for them so that mm-hmm. they get to experience it and then they get to ask the questions and develop the thing yeah it's really educational in that way um will you both be there over the weekend of the tour we will yes. will you be there um, we'll see i think so maybe we'll see <laughs> <laughs> i hope to be um thank you thank you thank you so much that was really brilliant and uh don't miss house zero there's a, a there's a feast in there but just take it gently don't be a glutton <laughs> <laughs> So thank you, ladies. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like imagine if you had some hot chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of someone and then they went to reach out and then you, you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you. See if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, Why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.